Hello and welcome to The Culture Brokers, stories from 1.5 generation immigrants. In this series, we explore the unique experiences of individuals who immigrate to a new country before adolescence. Each episode will discuss different themes relevant to this demographic as they navigate through life while trying to understand what it means to belong to different cultures. Hi, everyone. On today's episode, Tasina and I have our very first guest of the show, Hamza Haq. Hamza is an actor who's currently playing the leading role in the TV show Transplant. On the show, Hamza plays the role of a doctor who's a Syrian refugee settling in Canada trying to pursue a career in the field of medicine. We thought Hamza was the perfect first guest for Culture Brokers, not only because of the theme of his TV series, but also because of his own experiences with immigration. Hamza and Tassin are actually old friends, so it was great to be able to speak to him based on many shared experiences of growing up in similar communities, but also to have the opportunity to hear about how different his experiences have been for someone working in the art industry. What I took away from our conversation is how intergenerational the experience of immigration ends up being. The goals and visions that our parents had in mind when they chose to move to new societies hangs over our existence indefinitely, for better and for worse. I appreciated how open Hamza was to sharing his stories about navigating the cultural differences between himself and his family, sometimes choosing acts of rebellion as a means to free himself from this daunting internal debate, only to grow up and realize that there's really no escaping it. I really related to this and found it deeply comforting to know that others have struggled with the same dilemma. And this is really what Culture Brokers has always been about, uncovering shared experiences as a means to build bridges between ourselves, our listeners, and our community. Once you're done the episode, I highly recommend checking out Hamza's TED Talk, which I'll link in the show notes below. It's about all the things that we love to talk about. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. Hi, everybody. My name is Hamza Haq. I'm <laughs> actor. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, it's something that I always wanted to do. Um, I just started doing it. You know, like while I was in school, like while I was in university, like I was studying accounting and then I just picked up a part time job as a as an extra in all these uh, in all these Ottawa movies. I was just the brown guy in the background for about four years. Um, I started studying. Uh, I found a private coach. I've been studying it. Moved out to L.A. in 2013. Uh came back to Toronto thinking I was hot shit because I just studied in LA for like four months. Like, all right, let's get it. Um, failed, <laughs> um, failed, quit, fell ass backwards into hosting a TVO kids show in Montreal. And I've been, and that sort of uh, gave me a little bit more confidence in myself and a little bit more financial stability and a little bit more, um, audacity to just like all right cool like i can do this like i'm teaching kids math right now and then like and then um now i'm playing this like really angry like iraqi dude on this show called art of more like uh, and then i was doing that like back to back and it was just a lot of fun and i've been doing it ever since i like that audacity yeah what does audacity mean to you um like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do it like i don't give a fuck you know, it's funny. I was in I was in class yesterday. Like we had this Zoom class. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, the 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 studio that I study with and stuff like that. And and that was a big that was a big um, sort of theme for the night. Where like if if you really want to be the artist that you want to be, you have to be brazen. You have to be audacious. And we kept on. Those were like the those were the buzzwords of of, of the night. And really, what that means is like, yeah, like I understand. Like, I understand your position, but I'm going to do what I think is best. I have to. And that and that doesn't mean that, like, yo, like, like I'm going to smoke weed and I don't care what you say, mom. You know, it's just like, no, it could be something as simple as just like, yo, sorry, sorry, uncle. I don't agree with, with what, what you say. Like, I'm not going to I'm not going to keep quiet. I'm not going to not raise my voice because, like, because, like, you're older than me. You're still wrong. You know what I mean? Like, I have to be able to say that. Or something as simple as just like, yo, like, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to, I'm going to be angry, broken, brown, and Muslim. And it's okay that you're white. I don't have to be, you know? Um, and that's something that I'm, I'm still learning and I'm still, I'm still, I'm still working on. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's what I mean by audacity. <laughs> um, so did you, what was the journey like 
because I know that you're, I think you're either a child of immigrants or, or you are an immigrant yourself. Yeah. Um, I'm curious both. as to both. Okay. <laughs> you can tell me about that too. But um, I'm curious as to how that experience was like uh, entering this field with the kind of like context that you have. And I'm asking this with this pre-assumption and kind of pre-knowledge of my own culture and how brown mm-hmm. immigrants especially are so... Um, traditional in the kind of fields that they want their kids to go into. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, what's funny, like I'm, you know, there's this, there is this pre-existing assumption that like, yo, like our parents don't want us to do any of this stuff, you know? Um, and to a certain degree that was, that was, and that still is true. Um, and I think it's just, it just speaks to a, a lack of stability and a lack of regularity. You know what I mean? Like my mom obviously wanted me to be a doctor still does and like to a certain degree like i've made that come through you know what i mean like um to a certain degree like you know like i can flex a bit because the transplant like yo like i'm gonna do it like i'm doing these workshops i know how to do stitches mom you need to you need me to do like a general exam like i know how to do that i shouldn't because i'm not i'm not legally allowed to but i could um you know that really speaks to just uh um in any in any moment of instability uh that a lot of countries face and many of the countries that, that that I speak of are the ones that we come from. The people who are working were doctors, lawyers, engineers. And that was that um, when there was, you know, those are, that's job security, any civil unrest, any, um, uh, any military coup, any sort of that thing, the thing that was always required and necessary and you could go anywhere in the world and work were doctors, lawyers, engineers. So I think that, Yes, there's a prestige to that, but I always understood that's what I, that was my assumption that my parents wanted. They wanted the prestige of that, um, and it, it it could still be true. But I think that's second on the uh, on my mother's priority list, which is really just like I just don't want you to starve. Like I just don't want you to not have a job. Like I just don't want you to because um, even in this field, doesn't matter how successful I get, how much money I make, at the end of the day, as soon as we stop filming, I'm unemployed. And we start over, you know, yes, I have a proven resume and blah, 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 but legitimately I don't have money coming in. And then something like COVID happens and I've been unemployed for, you know, eight, nine months now. Whereas if I was a doctor, lawyer, engineer, accountant, stuff like that, like, you know, like I can't be on set on Zoom or over the phone or, you know, to send Excel spreadsheets or whatever, you know what I mean? Or I'm not considered an essential worker. Therefore, I don't have employment. I'm, I'm not complaining. I'm just that's just a, a matter of fact. I feel like doctors, lawyers, engineers, and stuff like that. They, they can, they can like win any argument to say that they are essential. Now, I consider actors to be essential workers as well, but not to the same degree. I mean, consider anybody who's been on lockdown. Like, who'd you turn to in COVID? You turn to actors and entertainers and stuff like that. You binge watch forty shows, and we were there for you. You know what I mean? So, like, <laughs> you know, and so I, I do, I, I do love, I do love what I do and and all this, but. I was very lucky that I didn't have a severe backlash when I initially wanted to go into it. Um, and I can say that there was a tentativeness and there was definitely hesitation, but there was never like, you're not doing this. You know, my, my dad was very adamant, like you're going to university, like you're going to graduate. You can do whatever you want, but you're going to graduate. So other people might see that as like oppressive or anything and be like, oh, he really wants him to do this one thing. But it was very open-ended. It was just, it was just my dad understands the value of education. And also, you know, he's worked hard his entire life to make sure his children get a good education. It was the biggest and probably only motivation for him to come to Canada. You know, like we were chilling in Saudi. Yes, not a great country with regards to human rights and everything like that. But the way they compensated their employees was pretty good. So we were living large, you know, uh, um, ish, you know. Um, because we were still Pakistanis and Saudis, so like there was a there was a there was a ceiling, um, but you know everything was good, private schools, all this stuff, but no secondary education. So my dad took all that risk to just make sure it's like, all right, my kids are gonna have a university education because when I grew up, my siblings couldn't do it because we couldn't afford it. So I'm gonna make sure that's not the case. So for me to say like, I dad, I'm gonna drop out of school, I'm gonna figure out what it's like to be an actor, he was just like, yeah, no, 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 you're gonna go to university, you're gonna figure out how to do an act, how to, how to become an actor. And also earn your degree and you have my full support in both. 
you can't have one without the other. You know what I mean? One time handshake, and then and then he's been all in ever since I graduated. Um, I graduated from Carleton with a degree in film studies and a minor in law. I don't I don't know if that's ever gonna ever get me a job, but uh, <laughs> you know, but yeah. The minor in law was just a sprinkle on like the you know. Yeah, yeah. Let me just let me just yeah. show that I'm like seriously that, pursuing this degree. That was that was that was you know performative, <laughs> like full full <laughs> performance. Actually, like I took it because like a lot of my electives were uh, were already like contract law, tax law, uh, intellectual property law, because I was just trying to understand a little bit more. And then like my uh, academic advisor was just like, "Yo, you know, if you take like three more law courses, you can get a minor." And I was like, "Oh." okay, cool. I'll just do that. And then I did. And they were just like, Hey, cool. Minor in law. And I'm like, all right. That, so that was about it. Yeah. And when you when you came to Canada, did you go straight to Ottawa? Yep. Yep. Straight to Bayshore. Um, Wait, so how old were you when you guys immigrated here? I was nine. Okay. Yeah. 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 I was, it was, it was the week after we survived Y2K. So, you know, we just got out. <laughs> like, Crazy um, times. I know. Huh? I was that 20 years ago. Jeez. I just said Y2K. Like, yo. <laughs> like I remember just watching, you know, Jennifer Lopez is waiting for tonight on MTV, and like here we are, twenty years later. I've never been to Bayshore, but I've heard of Tassim's stories uh, mm. and what that was like, and I've drawn some parallels in the past with my experience immigrating when I was nine to North York. Mm-hmm. Some similarities. I'm wondering what your experience was like, and what kind of growing up as a 1.5er, as somebody who's like spending their most important years technically in a new country, but they have a different background. And with you and to see both like a third culture kid, right? Like two mm-hmm. different culture kind of like bringing with you already. You know, it's, it's funny. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't a big thing back then, you know, like as we grow up, we unpack all these things and you're like, yo, that was kind of, man, I guess that did, that did make me feel, but there's this like beautiful, like resilience and almost blissful ignorance and children you know what i mean where we're just like all right cool i guess this is just my life all right you know and i'm like why can't we just be like that as adults man like why can't you be like all right cool i guess this is my life i guess i'll just make the most of it i'll just go do the thing and i'll do it as best i can and and whatever and then i'm just like yes somewhere down the line i started complaining about it um and never stopped but (laughs) like but yeah man basia was dope like what was cool is that i had some cousins who i grew up with in saudi so like my dad's younger brother you know we all lived in like the same apartment complex in Saudi and we were all very close. Like, you know, there was a, there was a boy, my brother's age and there was a girl like my oldest sister's age. And then there was a younger boy who was like right in between like me and my other sisters. So like, we were all just like very close, very chill. We still check, are, to the check, check. you know, you know <laughs> what I mean? So like we all chill, we all grew up together and they moved to Ottawa like, um, three years before. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, they were, they were the ones who like sponsored my dad and all this stuff. And, um, you know, that good old chain immigration, you know what I mean? Like, so like, um, yeah. So when we came, we lived with them in like the same, you know, 220 Woodridge, who knows, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. Um, so we were all living in like this, this, there was like 11 of us, like for the first couple of weeks, like it was 11 of us living in this two bedroom apartment. And we we're just like, yo, this is hype. You know what I mean? It was, it was, you know, it was so it was so cool. Like, uh, you know, every night was like, you know, all right, cool. Let's roll out the beds in the living room, and we're all like fighting and like beating each other with hangers and stuff like that. Like, you know, so it was really cool. Like, it felt very familiar. And then, like, going to school, like, I went to a very mixed school, like in Saudi. Like, um, we were we were never allowed to go to the schools like with the Saudis. So we were allowed to go to the schools of like all the expats who were there. So it was a very multicultural school. It was run by the American embassy, but everybody was there you know there were a lot of uh there were a lot of you know like non-saudi arabs there there were a lot of americans there there's a lot of pakistanis and Bangladeshis there and stuff like that indians so coming to bayshore it was kind of like oh okay cool like this is this is kind of similar except it's very cold outside but this, this is pretty dope it's kind of cool um you know made a couple friends right off the bat just by virtue of being you know being brown and uh, and there's this excitement around like okay cool like here's this new kid and and there isn't that like who's this new kid you know i was i was really good at making friends initially for whatever reason but then like also like tentative around like making really good friends i got really lucky that like like my mother's an incredible incredible cook so like a lot of kids just wanted to like you know my mom was always just like yeah bring your friends over like i'll cook for them and stuff like that i'll bake and stuff and you know so like shout out to moms for like always holding it down like 
it's funny. Like I was, I was like, I just came to that realization. I'm just like, yeah, I thought, I thought mama was like cook for us. And that was something she did for us. But she was like, yeah, she always cooked for our friends too. And like, that was a big reason for like why people wanted to come over. So shout out mom. It's good. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Bayshore was, was really good. It was an awesome, uh, uh, a transitional, um, neighborhood to, to to come to like i like i miss it to this day like i love i love bayshore I, I i love growing up there i love you know it was it was a kind of neighborhood that i didn't have even back in saudi because like you know we didn't you know we played cricket on the streets and then you know fights broke out and then you hear like the azan and you have to like run back inside and that was that but there wasn't that sort of like community thing. You didn't go to other people's houses. You didn't chill. There were no backyard barbecues. There weren't like all these like aunties and uncles and stuff like that. Just like smoking shisha on the, you know what I mean? Like in the parking lot, you know, <laughs> like, you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like- it's so interesting hearing your reflections on Bayshore because, you know, there's so much there. And like you said, when you're a kid, it's just sort of like this great time. And, you know, you said when, we're adults, we kind of look back and we unpack all these things. I think it's kind of both. I think we also tend to be very nostalgic about the past. And we were like shithead kids jumping around. Like you said, you're beating each other with hangers. It's the parents and the moms that are like, all right, we got to figure out this whole school situation. I get them enrolled in school. Got to like, you know, do all these things that they that they did a really great job with. And yeah. when I think of Bayshore, I think, mean, and me and Mana have talked about this, of how we – it's so nice to have a place that okay let me backtrack actually it's so nice to have a place that you look at with this rosy-eyed lens like how great your childhood was so multicultural everyone played outside and there was like you said aunties and uncles outside smoking shisha in the summer and there's a backyard barbecues and because the whole community is very much built that way it's mm-hmm. a lot of apartment buildings a lot of like garden homes leading out to the schoolyard backyard right there's two elementary schools there's a mall i mean they set it up very very good as a settlement sort of initial immigrant settlement neighborhood and i was so interested in in this concept when i was when we were doing our masters that I was like, it's like these really great like enclaves, like these ethnic, you know, this term ethnic enclave, which is areas like Little Italy or Chinatown that become facilitated um, by their inhabitants. And it's really good for economic productivity in the area as well, right? You have stores, you have store owners, you have different types of goods and services that become available to people in that community, which is the real goats, like the real immigrants who are out here bringing in the Shan Masala and like the Indian snacks and the Korean snacks and the things that we're all like, yeah, exactly. And it's so nice because you just consume all these services. But when I think about how much like the policy in me is like, how did all of this come to be? And although it's so great to look at it with, and there is so much that we were able to take away from these communities and enrich our, in our lives, but they're often not, these communities are not designed in a way that's meant to be a long-term settlement for a lot of people. And that's a choice. And ultimately I'm no, you know, I'm not taking that agency away from any folks who choose to stay wherever they chose to come to when they first came to Canada, mm-hmm. but it's not facilitated for people who are like, yeah, I'm going to live here forever, you know, because you can't buy a home and you can't, these are markers of what it means to be a successful immigrant from a lot of older generations. And going back to what you said about stability and your mom and your dad wanting this, it means you move out the quote unquote hood, you move and you buy, a, you know, you get a house in the suburbs that you can't afford. And, you know, for a lot of immigrants, that's the story, right? But you're doing these things so that you can kind of move through and graduate through the levels of immigration mm-hmm. and, and then ultimately earn your position in Canadian society to be like, Hey, you know what? We're a 20 year old family that's settled here and this is what we have to show for it. Right. But I, it's so interesting reflecting on the experience and how that also changes as a result of that movement, right? Of this journey that a lot of immigrant parents, and only speaking towards my experience, I can't speak to 
people outside of Ontario right now and like our story in Ottawa, Bayshore, linkages with how it was for Yumana in North York and, mm. you know, very metropolitan, multicultural areas, a lot of immigrants, right? So you're growing up with all different kinds of kids and you're like, this is great. No one, you're not really aware of your otherness because everyone's otherness is everywhere. And it's oh, great. Like it's great for a kid in many ways. I think some things were very confusing still and there's nothing that we can take away from that. But at least you were comparing against other immigrant kids in many ways. It wasn't, and we talk about this all the time, and what does 1.5 mean to you? And for Mana and my, our story based on what we put out so far and in terms of even our own journey was that we kind of had this rude awakening all of a sudden in grad school, grown-ass women, right? Like in an educational institution. And then people are like, but do you know how to read? Or like, I heard this about, you know, brown people or Muslims. And you're like, wait, what? Like this. And it sounds so stupid because I think there's a lot of intersectionality with like immigration and racism and privilege and all these dynamics. But embarrassingly, I can admit my privilege. Yeah, I was 23 in Kingston, Ontario, that I'm like, oh, people don't think of me as Canadian, you know? And I've been out here tooting that like, flag for years and years with all my you know mismatched immigrant like clothing that came from like all parts of cousins and all parts of the world and and you know that was like an identity that I felt like for a long time you were reject I rejected because I was like I'm working way too hard to be like seen as just like this immigrant kid in school because I need this I need the baby fat shoes and I need that puffy jacket so that people understand that I'm not just like, you know, a fobby kid. And that was what kids do to each other. We're mean and we create these divides amongst ourselves. Even though you're nine years old from Saudi and you remember what it was like to not completely maybe belong, you probably see some like new immigrant kid when you're like, like Like, yo, like, oh, like Farhan, you talk like this, huh? Okay. You know, yeah, I did that shit for sure. Like just to like just to have any opportunity to not feel like I'm on the bottom of, of the totem pole. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I feel inferior, so you're gonna feel inferior. You know what I mean? And like, I'm like, okay, look around, look around. Can't do that to any of the popular white kids, so I'm gonna do it to my own. You know? So it's, yeah, oh, that's deep. You know what I mean? It's 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 really shitty what we did to each other, as opposed to just being like, yo, like. Come on over. My mom's a real good cook. You know what I mean? Like, you know. But I, like, I would, in my thinking back to my experiences, I would also like w- want to take a moment to blame the system a little bit. I'm just gonna, just gonna do that because <laughs> I'm thinking about myself when I was nine, and maybe I was like a hypersensitive kid. But I have really distinct memories of being coming here and being very well aware of that. Suddenly, my status as like a student in school and my family status in society had changed. Um, the like most pronounced kind of memory I have of that is up until then I was always like, like language, like Farsi, which was like obviously the equivalent of the English class, uh, was always my strongest suit. That was my thing. I was reading books, all that stuff come here. Suddenly I couldn't, you know, uh, for like September of like fifth grade and I couldn't write the numbers in the right direction. And I couldn't that that way that I was already learning how to like shape my identity or like express my identity was already like taken away from me because I no longer spoke the language. Uh, and I became similar to you guys, like I became extremely motivated to blend in real fast. And one of that was to I was put into ESL classes, which I don't know if you guys were as well, but um I was like, my goal is to get out of this class, like graduate from it within a year. Like I remember at that age having that motivation. Right. And part of it is because what it meant for me and like the six other kids who were in that class was that we were going to be taken out of like the other group class activity or like the funnest moment in the day where everybody else was going to bond. We were going to be taken out from it and put into uh, this ESL class. Mm -hmm. And so it already started to feel like a stigmatized kind of label to have. And I, you know, I think like, and I, like there's, there's a lot of other problems about like that specific example that I remember, but I do feel like it's like people not knowing and the system not knowing what it means to be an immigrant child Mm -hmm. and what your potential is and how you should maybe like cater that a little bit. Um, And as opposed to making you feel like you're like already in the state of having something like being behind or having something less than the average normal kid. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and then and it's funny to also hear you guys talk about this like you know originally being kind of ignorant to it and then grow and being like blissfully happy and then growing up and having all these realizations because I think like in the conversations we've been having I, a battle I have with myself is like which one is technically better is it better to because I, I really think there was something special about growing up and spending those important years in a in a group in a school that there was no superior and there was no majority race yeah they're literally like for, I'm sure it was the same with you guys like I honestly can't say there was like one group more than the other. And I think that's a really special and rare space to be in as a uh-huh. kid. Um, it, it, it like undoes a lot of the negative effects that are like the negative teachings of society. But then 10 years later, you know, when I'm older and more serious and negative, um, I'm also realizing that, uh, you know, I... <laughs> I, like wait a second like my friend who grew up in this white community and she's white and all that stuff like she already knew how to apply for her first job when she was 15 because her parents told her this is how you do it yeah and you know her her parents when they want to when they have a problem when they run into some legal issue in society they don't get stressed like my parents do because they already know who to go to and so you know like now thinking kind of like to my next generation do I want them to have that like racially protected bubble that I grew up in, or do I want them to have the resources to know what to do, you know, with yeah. their, with their life and their, when their back is against the wall. Like it, it's a really, I go back and forth between that, you know? Yeah. I like that. The whole, the, the whole concept of like, when you realize other people are having a completely different upbringing. I remember, I remember I was like, like halfway through high school and one of my friends told me that like, Oh yeah, like in my family, like as soon as as soon as we graduate high school, like for our all of our 18th birthday, we get luggage to move out. And I was like, like that's our 18 on our 18th birthday, our parents wow. buy us luggage to move out. And I was just like, that was like that was a, a like as soon as you talked about that, I'm just like, yeah, that was when I first. I'm just like, yo, y'all living different, different. Like I like, like if I bought the best luggage, my parents would return it. You know, he's like, where are you going? You know, oh, okay, like, oh, you got a lot of money now. Huh? Okay, cool. Yeah, you got money now? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, all right, you know, and just jokingly say, all right, cool, pay the bills. Ha-ha. And then you try to, like, listen, I don't need you to pay my bills. Okay. Um, but yeah, like, there's this, like, I don't, I, I can't say what would be, what would be better. You know, like, it's, I hate, you know, like, Dusty and I can speak to having both, you know, move to the same neighborhoods twice you know who both immigrated to Bayshore and and there's there's so two things I'm like I'm really hoping uh, that you know a lot of people are listening to this and stuff like that take it away ESL is English as a second language in case you don't know and Bayshore if you live in Ottawa now is now called Akora Village because it's being gentrified to shit um but you know Bayshore forever you know like Bayshore forever you know what I mean but like but yeah like I don't like living in Canada um and being the only brown family on my street and and because canada is so huge there's a lot of brown folk in canada but it's always just like it's majority of a white neighborhood you know what i mean it's just it's a lot of this uh it's it's a lot of this and that you know so it's just um and you know just five minutes away is stitzville and like the best coffee shop in canada west is or in ottawa west is in stitzville i remember going there before transplant and it was just like yo like 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 new immigrant who dis, you know what I mean? That's why everybody was like looking at me. And then like, and then like I went there after transplant, everyone just like looking at me still, but like a little bit different because like, you know, like a lot of middle-aged white women love transplant, you know, and then shout out to middle-aged white women, you know, thank you for always <laughs> support. <laughs> like, but like, it was just like, oh my God, you look really familiar. Hey, you look really a lot like the guy from transplant. I'm like, yeah, I get that a lot. Bye. You know what I mean? Like, I, like I can't, I can't honestly say what I would prefer as an experience because, like, yeah, it's great to see my, my you know, my dad's impetus to buy land and buy a house was due to twenty five years of his life in Pakistan not being able to afford one, and twenty five years in Saudi not being allowed to buy one, you know. So like when he moved to Canada, it was just like, yo, um, fifty. I've been working for twenty seven years. I'm buying a house. I've never been able to do it. I'm buying one. I don't care. And um, 
and we were in that fortunate, you know, that 1% of, of, of immigrants who were able to afford one because my dad spent 27 years or 25 years saving for, you know, just buying a house, no investment, no mortgage, cash. All right, cool. He regrets it now because he's like, man, we've been here for 20 years. I could have bought like six houses with that. You know what I mean? And they, they all would have been paid off by now. But again, it's because we didn't, he didn't know the infrastructure. I, I'm really grateful for having, you know, for having exposure to that at a young age, because now I can recognize that like, yo, like I was really lucky to have all that. And if I didn't grow up in an area where people didn't have that, I would be oblivious completely. Granted, it didn't change my behavior then, but if I didn't have that growing up, I would be oblivious to it to this day. You know, I would never have had anything to reflect on. And so like just through osmosis of being around all these people who just really loved their families, who really understood what work ethic was, who really understood what being the other was, you know, and, and I feel so confused when I see brown people or, 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 or you know, who just are, I wouldn't say ignorant, but who just didn't have that experience, who like exclusively grew up in like Muskoka or something like that. And they'll like, you know, say things just like, I don't know, man, like I never faced any racism. And I'm just like, yo, how are you 30 and brown and Canadian? And you can honestly say you never faced any racism. It's just, you're just not aware of it. You just like, you just did, didn't know any different because like, you, you, it, like there is that blissful ignorance. And so is that, is that better? It, does this person have a better experience? I don't know. I'm grateful to be able to recognize that because I, I'm in a position where I have to tell these stories. I have to be able to like, like for my job, I have to tell that immigrant story often. I have to tell what it feels like to be other often because these are the stories that, that someone who looks like me get to tell in, in media. And I'm grateful to be able to tell them on a larger scale now, thanks to all the artists who have done that before me. But if I was just some like, if I was just some brown guy pretending to be white, which I have done for a, a, a large portion of my life, but if I, if that was something that I'd still be interested in doing now, I would not have I would not have any semblance of a career, or very much so, not the career at all that I want. It's actually kind of like an interesting counter thought to what I was saying, where I was I think I've become so focused, and I think so much of this is just like the narrative in your head. And lately, I think my focus has been so much as to what I've learned by comparing myself to people who have it better, who had it better. Mm -hmm. But what you just said also reminded me of just how much I learned by not necessarily comparing myself to who have it worse, but uh, the, you know, fellow immigrants in my community when I was 13, 14, 15, who just by virtue of the fact that they were reflecting the same struggles as me and the same sort of like life motivations and pressures as me, where like all of them were like, my parents came here so that I do well in school. Mm -hmm. like, just by virtue of like having that connection that was mm -hmm. actually like learned a lot from that too i wanted to go back a little bit you said earlier that growing up you kind of like you just like you know you are what you are you just are kind of like existing in the moment and then it's later on in life that you do a little bit of that unpacking mm -hmm. um so and like me and Tassin, we had a lot of that like she said in our school especially mm -hmm. when we went to kingston i'm curious as to what when that happened for you, when you became really aware of the fact that you're like a bit of this culture, a bit of that culture? I don't know if I can pinpoint an exact moment, but I think probably, probably high school. Um, when I, when I understood, I think high school, uh, grade 12 is probably when I took full advantage of that. Like, uh, cause when I ran for student council president, I got like I got a lot of votes. Like I, I won like in a landslide because like, I really, I remember this. yeah. Cause I really like, I really belong to every community. Like I was, you know, like I was, uh, I was on the sports team. I was never really good, but I always made it. You know what I mean? Like, um, I was in the plays. I was friends with the popular white kids. Cause I was in French immersion. I would play, you know, president and or our version of it, you know, in the cafeteria with all the immigrant kids and stuff like that. Like I was a, I was a good enough student. I was in computer programming. I was doing all, all this stuff. And then I was always involved in one way or another. So when I realized that I was just like, yo, I can kind of go anywhere, but I was always excluded from one thing here and there because I was constantly like bouncing. So I was like, all right, cool. Like I'd gravitate here for like, for like a couple of weeks. I'm just like, all right, cool. Like I'm, I'm really just going to hang out with my immigrant friends for a couple of weeks. And I'm just like, yo, like I missed out on that party that was happening, you know? And it was just like, 
yo, and then I feel all salty about it and just being like, yo, like, Colin, why didn't you, you know, <laughs> like, 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 you know, and it was just like, oh, like, I just hadn't seen you in a couple of weeks and stuff like, I'm like, yo, that's true. Cause I spent, you know, like, like I, that, that wasn't the day where I was like sitting at those benches and stuff like that and just like hanging out and, you know, like, um, like all of us, you know, with like all the, uh, I, I literally almost said all of us white kids, like literally <laughs> almost said that. Um, but you know, like, like I wasn't part of that for a bit. So I missed out on like the impromptu whatever, you know, and then you know, Arab kids used to like, used to like tease me for like being a white boy. And I was just like, what? And so like, yeah, cause you like hang out with all these people and you think you're one of them and stuff like that. So it was always like having to like, you know, uh, like constantly having to fill each jar. And every time I would go, like I'd have to spend it and then it would get low and people would just be like, yo, you don't belong here. And then I'd be, you know, it's like a, it's like a, you know, it's like a video game, you know what I mean? Where it's just like, all right, cool. Like I'm depleting my XP in, in this. And then and then as soon as that, that resource is done, I'm like, okay, cool. I need to go fill it back up. And then after mm-hmm. it was constant, it was, it was like just having to, having to spin plates constantly. So sort of like, all right, cool. I think that was the first time I was like really aware of it. And I just had no idea what to do. Like, I was just like, well, somebody's gonna, and, and I equated not belonging to hatred. You know what I mean? Like, I was just like, well, somebody's gonna hate me. Like if I don't belong here, somebody's gonna hate me. Um, and I think, I think it was just after that, you know, like I, uh, I think in university it started becoming much better because I finally just like leaned into like whatever I wanted to do, you know. It was just like, all right, cool. I just, I just, I would rather do this. So I just, I just hung out with whoever I felt like hanging out with, and it was, and university was a little bit more eclectic too, right? Like you're all there, you're all. You're all there for a purpose. You already share this one thing. And majority of us had the similar experience where first year university, like, no, I don't want to be here either. You know what I mean? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not in the program that I want to be in. You know what I mean? And and that was my specific experience because I wasn't hanging out with all the people who like really knew what they were doing and really focused because those people weren't hanging out, you know? Yeah, we're just we're all just like telling our parents we're here and we're really at like Oasis Lounge smoking shisha, right? <laughs> but you know, that was my entire university life was just telling my parents I was at university when really I was at a shisha lounge, like doing five minutes of revisions and that was it. And then, you know, four years later, got a degree, cool, bam, done, you know, as far as like knowing, knowing fully, fully, like that I didn't belong in anything. I would say like it started a house in high school and it's, and it's continued to this day. Like it was just like, ah, okay. Like, yeah, I love going to I love going to Brown events. I I love being part of like the, the the Bollywood dance team at Carleton University and competing. And that was easily my biggest takeaway from university. Like, yeah, the degree was good. I was happy to learn what I learned, and I was I was grateful for the experience. And I'm grateful that I stuck it through and worked just hard enough to give my dad some kind of you know feeling of completion or feeling of success. That like, yo, like I was able to like put all my kids through university like he deserved that I wasn't gonna uh, like I definitely wasn't gonna take that away from him. it's interesting hearing that you like you found place in and that's why sometimes I've wondered like you know with my brother and seeing and knowing you through him and seeing how you guys had this community of like proud brownness that I saw very early on and you said that from like high school right like you wanted to go to like Jemmy Omer at the mosque for a Friday mm-hmm. prayer and like that was a cool thing to do and yeah. I was, I think being, I don't know if it's like the layer of being like a girl, being younger, coming here at mm. a younger age and not necessarily having a place of like pride with brownness at that time, which I like 100% feel now, you know, at the time, like that wasn't a place for me. So, mm. and I'm happy that that wasn't a bias that was shared, was largely shared by a lot of people. But I know for me and like, my friends who you know as a younger cohort of like there was like you guys who are like very into like all the dance showcases and stuff <laughs> and then there was us who are like uh no like we're, we're black like we're not we're, brown, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. We, yeah we think we're you know i'm more into like yeah things associated with like the hip-hop urban yeah. we're urban you know? yeah, and, yeah 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 it's appropriation. It was like blackface and cultural form, like it's trying to claim parts of like places that you hundred percent blackness that don't belong to you and you have no authority to claim. Mm-hmm. But there you are claiming it because it's a way to differentiate yourself from 
from people that you can identify with and the, and the things that they do and their activities and the things that bring them together. Yeah, I, I think the, I think the big shame about, you know, I'm really, honestly, it makes me very happy to hear that you saw our proud to be brownness, you know, that like, because we were like, you know, we very, I always have been, but I've been like, like, I've been like selectively closeted about it. You know, like anytime I get the opportunity to do it, I'm just like, yo, like, I love being brown. Like, I love our culture. Like, I love the music. I love the food. I love the movies. I love the dance. I love the people, you know. But I've been, I, you know, there were times where it was okay to do it out loud. And there were times where I chose not to. It's always been okay. But there were times where I was just like, okay, chill, chill. You know what I mean? Like, yo, mom, like, we're like, mom, come on. Like, we're going to Red Lobster. You know, you don't have to wear shellac on these. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. like like it was it's just like the silliest things you know what i mean and and i think my sisters both of them had a very similar experience where um like my oldest sister she was very i I feel like she would have loved to have taken part of it she's a good dancer she was really part of that community but she did get into that like like that urbanness that like okay cool like we all love alan iverson and tracy mcgrady and that, that like we're gonna go all in on that you know, like we're going to wear big hoop earrings and get cornrows and blue contacts and whatever. You know what I mean? That like, we're all just going to do that kind of thing. And we're going to think that's the thing too. Like it's what you said earlier, osmosis, right? Like these, knowing these things and knowing they exist is what it creates these like subcultures. Like people want to joke like brown girl culture, brown girl culture is like having strict parents and being anemic, right? Like, <laughs> you know, like you can't stand up too fast. Like our iron levels are shit. But it's true, and like it, the humor in it, and knowing that, like, yeah, brown girl culture is like, you know, in the two thousands, it's wearing skaters' clothes, so you're not gonna be like vilified by your parents because your mm-hmm. jeans are too tight. Like, these are things that we did as adjustments, but then we labeled ourselves as a community. Like, we're all going through this, like ESL. Like, mm-hmm. you have to graduate from ESL. Shout out though to me, I didn't have to do ESL. In fact, again, going back to making fun of people, I'm just gonna go ahead and do it now. Yeah. But hey, you know, like those are things we did and it was all jokes at the time, but I think they have, like, I can see how they have impacts and I can see how the, it's not necessarily, like, we can still make fun of each other and have community without necessarily, like, you know, excluding and, and, and making feel people feel though, as though they have to earn their right to certain stripes and certain parts of belonging. But it's funny how these were the markers for the longest time, like, mm-hmm. Are you even brown? Like you know, and then if you're if you don't have these oppressions, you know, are you even brown? If your parents so hit you, yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of like a lot of stuff here, and it, it's you know I'm so grateful going back to this like concept of 1.5 and like having each other in these communities is that like in retrospect yeah there's a lot of teen angst and we always talk about this a lot of like feelings of isolation and Mm. confusion and just like you hate it and you want to like be in the future where things make more sense but we had these common experiences that weren't outrageous whereas i feel like you know and i'm grateful for that for having a metropolitan very culture broker 1.5 communities because we coped and we got by knowing that this is, is, this is what it is. Right. Just in context of like, you know, recognizing the time that you were like, okay, there's a difference. This whole compartmentalizing for a long time. You, we do these things out of like need, right? Like it's almost like mm-hmm. a survival, survival method, not to glad that, not to like dramatize it. Like, Oh, you needed to survive. And, but I mean, in the sense that, it's a way to protect and preserve your vulnerability, right? Because you're like, I can't, you know, maybe inside, like for me, okay, I'll just speak for myself. I'm like scared, you know, I'm scared of really who have I become? Because there's all these competing things that are in your head as you're growing up. Like I'm a child of immigrants. I myself, I'm an immigrant for the longest time. I, to be here meant to be rejecting everything my parents would tell me to do and how to do it because they don't know like that was like the constant mantra I'm telling myself in my head and maybe that's our experience is different there a little bit but for me it was like they don't understand they can't relate they'll never relate I'm the black sheep I'm this like second born of two of an immigrant family and so even my immigrantness is shaping up to be very different from my brother's immigrantness Mm-hmm. as explored by yeah like the groups i saw him you know you guys as friends like going like the idea that praying was cool or going to the mosque was cool and then you guys would play ball after playing you know 
I love seeing that. And I love, in fact, when I think of community, that's exactly what I envision because it should be these healthy relationships with things that are in our culture and, and, and our, our values that, you know, our parents hold on to. So we don't have to, by default, reject them. I think we can explore them, mm-hmm. find people who are like-minded in the community, see how we feel, and then organically decide whether or not we want to maintain this part of our mm-hmm. culture, our identity, or value. But for me, it was like default. They don't get it. They'll never understand. And so almost inherently, like, I feel like I was butting heads with a lot of my things my parents said and wanted because it was like just the trigger point. Like you don't get it. So anything you say, I'm going to perceive it through that light. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of grow older and you realize that some of the things that you were so defensive of are just things that you need to deal with. They're your own insecurities, right? They're things that you have to reconcile within yourself. Like mm-hmm. who are you? Is this a value that you actually do kind of value and you just yourself haven't been able to practice it. So now when your parent or anyone says it, you're like, I can't hear this. I, it's, I don't want to identify with it because I'm not there yet. Right. Mm-hmm. And when I'm talking about that, I'm talking more about like religion, spirituality, for um, sure. certain practices in our, in our, in our culture, things I've heard my mom say a hundred times, like how girls should be, should not be right. These are things that I've, I've heard and I've nuanced as I got older, but as a kid, you're like, you guys are so out of touch. You don't even know yeah. what's happening in these streets. You know? yeah, yeah. But for me, if I was to tell myself, like if I was to go back and give myself advice at that time, I think I would really be like, hey, like don't be so scared that if you were to like feel out this feeling fully, Mm-hmm. and explain it to somebody or have somebody be a part of it the right friend for you is gonna listen and they're gonna be a good friend you know and you don't have to be carrying all this like responsibility to govern yourself in a way that nuances your culture nuances your religion is a good representation of your family is a good representation of all those Word. things yeah while also creating your new identity with it you know like i have my own marketing brand behind it like these are all things you're trying to do because you're a Mm -hmm. kid and you want to identify and you want to belong and you want to assert yourself and that's how you do it like through these powerful ways but for me if anything i've been able to realize like me being vulnerable to my own self my own feelings has Mm -hmm. been brought me power in how i carry myself through those identities so now i can say yeah i'm an immigrant like hell yeah i'm an immigrant and i'm proud of Mm -hmm. it and yeah i'm brown af you know and i'm muslim af and that looks like what it does like to me and i'm not gonna speak on i'm not gonna speak on it as an identity that is now should be worn by other people the same way it's worn by me but that Mm -hmm. is my story for myself and it comes out in different ways with different people and that's okay Mm -hmm. you know i don't have to carry myself in accordance to these boxes which i did for a very long time where it's like i have to be this person at home i have to be this person at school and then when i'm in grad school or when i'm an undergrad depending on the circle i'm in i have to like bring it out even more and like perform it to the best you know limit that i can like that's my advice but i'm curious to know what it would be for you because i think you've had a more not more but i'd say i'd say you'd had a very eclectic journey with this different parts of identity markers and yeah you know, seeing you as like Hamza as an actor on Instagram with the blue thing hosting, it's interesting to see that, you know, shout out, but <laughs> even during transplant, like posting, like there is a responsibility that you have because you have a brand, right? And at this point, we're relating it to like career, livelihood, like certain mm. things that are very important. But, you know, you post things about identity and you post things about things that are happening. You post things about, you know anti-black racism in our in our communities and you say things and i wonder like does that what does that hesitation look like for you now versus in the past where you kind of learned to be diplomatic at a very early age by being a third culture kid coming from saudi coming to bayshore mm-hmm. bayshore to canada you know the graduation of, of you know mm-hmm. how is well, that like is that know, is that something that you're consciously aware of now still or is it just part of the is it part of the part of the package of being in the industry and also being who you are i think you know every everything that you just touched on it just it just rings so true for me especially like i'll start with the rejection of society and religion initially i think for me i 
I walked away so far from my culture and my religion that it was I like I was so ignorant of it. I was so ignorant of its benefits because I was so keen to like not to not be what my parents wanted me to be, you know, like there was this very like uh, to find my own identity. And therefore, I didn't want to be, like I was so arrogant and narcissistic to think that like my identity is completely separate from these two people that I come from. Like that's that's ludicrous. You know what I mean? That I'm com- yes, I have my own behavior. Yes, I have my own mind and my own flavor and my own personality and stuff like that. But I wanted to think that it was all mine that I didn't believe in anything that my parents believed in because that's the only way that I could, you know, that like, I didn't even want to give them that credit to be just like, no, 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 you didn't teach me this. I learned this on my own because of there's this resentment, um, unwarranted, completely just as a result of not, fe- not feeling like I belong. And like, to me growing up and not belonging, like my perception of who belongs the least in my family uh, to this, north american culture that i was trying to fit into was my parents so the only way that i was going to fit in was by being everything that they weren't you know not even you know not even being my own person but it was just like all right cool like mm-hmm. if you're going to have all these like lovely virtues and care about education and all this stuff like i'm i'm not going to do that you know like if you're going to if you're going to tell me not to do something i'm going to do that continually you know what i mean and you know it what that resulted in this was this like weird schism of living in a, a living in an environment that was completely outside of myself i was trying so hard to do all of these things trying to figure out whatever and ultimately it resulted in just me hating myself like i just got to this point where i just hated myself so much I was living such a uh, so far away from what I thought that I was or was what I was becoming and it it, it was everything it was the way that I talked the way, the way that I talked to anybody the way that I conducted myself the way that I approached my spirituality the way that I um, like like when I think about like the way the way that I've like you know like treated women the way that I treated my siblings the way that I spoke about anything it was just all these false things to try to fit into this thing that was not, it was, it just wasn't me. And it went on for so long that when I finally realized that I was like, I was like sickened with myself that I was just like, yo, I can't believe that like you disrespected people like that. You had no sense of, I had no respect for myself, like none in this like constant clamoring and reaching to just become something just try to find myself like i was you know you don't find yourself like you're not you're not looking for yourself unless you're lost and i was unwilling to Mm -hmm. recognize the fact that i was lost and just misbehaving you know just like being a fucking turd just an absolute asshole a tapeworm of an individual just (laughs) taking and taking and taking trying to trying to accumulate all these experiences to try to build something when it was just and everything that I was taking was untrue. It just were places I didn't want to be, people I didn't want to be with, but I got something out of it, some feeling of validation, some feeling of, you know, like, um, you know, dating all the white girls and, and doing and, and by, like wearing that like an accessory because like, okay, cool. Like I, I felt like I belonged finally, you know, I got some validation from, from members who had that, you know, I was given the key to the room you know, or, or a seat at the table or whatever you want to call it. And, and it, you know, and I was getting all the things that I thought I wanted. Um, you know, I had a little bit of success in the industry. I had, I was working with celebrities. I was traveling, but I was in the depths of like the worst depression I felt where I was just like, bro, like I'm get, I'm doing all the things that I think I want to do. Like, I think I want all of these things. I thought I wanted all of these things and I got them and I, I'm miserable. I was like, yo, bro, man, like, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm just not a good dude. Like, I'm just not, I'm just not happy with who I am. I'm not happy with any of my behavior. I'm not happy with any of my relationships. I'm not happy with my career. I'm just unhappy because it wasn't mine. I was getting all these things, but none of it was mine. Um, Still, (laughs) like, Still, like, I, yo, like, I did all the things that my parents didn't want me to do. 
still like you know mm. so I, so like so I, I i took some time off from industry stuff and stopped chasing the dream and like started just like you know wondering what life was about and i was like all right cool like maybe i should just if if i say i love acting because that's been that's been a nice little fulcrum for me where i can rotate all of my life experience around that like a lot of my behaviors have been around that it's been a it's been a priority it's it's the reason i didn't excel in school it was it was the reason that i rebelled against my parents to even though i had you know uh, much more support than a lot of people who are really trying to do this thing um so like i i i started approaching it that way i was like okay cool like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna i'm gonna act for free like i'm just gonna look you know this was right after indian detective um so like i was you know i was chilling you know what i mean i was like had some money like my 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 you know my social stock was never higher like i had girls sliding in my dms and shit and everything was cool and but i was in the best shape of my life and i had uh, you know like i had like twenty thousand dollars in my account so i thought that was like a lot you know what i mean like and i thought like yeah i never have to work again you know what i mean like it's just like so stupid you know but like it was the, and i was just like all right cool like, i gotta take some time off because i still feel like shit um so I, I decided to just work for free. I got, you know, did some student films, did some web series and just being like, yo, like if I really want to do this, then like, then it's worth it because like I kept on getting these challenges and these lifesavers and it was, those challenges were the lifesavers that re-guided me towards my spirituality. And it was something that was absolutely necessary. So my advice to anybody would be just like, honestly, just be good to yourself. Like, you know, they do not sell out and do not like, don't, you don't have to get to a level of, um, you don't have to forsake all the blessings in your life and the people that are trying to help you regardless of what culture they are. But especially if you don't identify yourself with your family's culture or where you come from or the culture of the country that you're in, it's okay to not, you know, like we're, we're a, you know, if there's, if people want to argue about how many immigrants there are in, in a country, that means there's that many immigrant kids and that many more immigrant kids. So like we, like what you're feeling as somebody who doesn't really, who has one foot in either camp and, and, and their head in neither, you know, you know, there's many, many more. And there's, it's like, we are, we are the majority now. Like we are the majority immigrant culture like our you know we can and and i think we refuse to do that as a you know or refuse to own that because we were still defending our parents to a certain degree because like we don't want to diminish their struggle and everything that they're doing and we're still upset at a western culture for not accepting us the way that we expected it you know that the fact that like we still get asked like yo where are you really from like yo motherfucker, i've been here 20 years now what do you mean where I'm where am I really from? Like I'm more from here than you. You know, like I dressed up for Canada Day way more than you did. You know what I mean? Like I did all that shit, you know, and now I you know, now I I'm understanding and I'm and now because I recognize like the you know, the colonial aspects of Canada, I'm even more about this country than you are where who's ignoring that. You know what I mean? Like I have to just it's a, it's okay to feel that you're not you don't belong in any place because like Yo, like as children of travelers who grew up in countries that were never really our own, like we go back to our home countries and they're never really our own. I always think like I was, you know, like our home, our belonging is is always going to be the soles of our feet. And we just mm. need to take that. We just need to take that and, and take that further. And that's how really we're going to we're going to we're going to move this thing along. Like we're going to we have to take that sense of home to everywhere we go. And if our if our feeling of home is the fact that we don't belong, then just accept that. Like, yo, it's all good. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fit in fully anywhere. You know what I mean? And and the past has already happened, right? I have to just make peace with the fact that, yo, like, I'm not, I'm never gonna belong with that culture again. So, like, I'm grateful to like people like you who are like reaching out to me, just like, yo, it's all good. Like, I'm in the same boat. Like, lol, you know. Um, but like, yeah, this is our boat now, you know. And we have to, we just have to deal with that. And and as far as moving forward and 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 achieving what we wanted what we want to do in life and you know because i've been fortunate enough to 
pursue the arts and have my parents support it's it's not to say that like i haven't worked hard for it and i think where where i will always argue to other people who want to be like yo but like how do i get my you know people like sliding in my dms or commenting like yo like i'm brown or i'm a pakistani muslim and i want to pursue the arts like how did you convince your parents i was just like yo i worked hard like i really did i i I, you know regretfully we're still in that culture and and this isn't exclusive to like pakistani people or like immigrants like a lot of a lot of like canadians or like white folk deal with this sort of thing too where like their parents don't think like it's a legitimate pursuit or or anything other than like the one two three you know what i mean that like and it's literally like if you want your you know i'm not saying you need your parents support you don't you know Mm -hmm. if if it's something that you want then it's incumbent on you to convince them that it's something that you take seriously. And I took it very seriously and I didn't waver on that. And I was, you know, a lot of my, you know, my, my siblings, other, other friends of mine try to shame me for like taking money from my parents being this like, yo, but they work so hard and stuff like that. Like unpopular opinion, but that's why your parents worked hard. You know what I mean? Like my, like, uh, like if you live in the burbs and you're like that, if you're that immigrant who like graduated, like you said, you know what I mean? Like, like reach the final form of the immigrant, which is that like, which is like, you know what I mean? Like bought the house in the suburb. And gardening it's somewhere, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if your parents did that and you're still like trying to be just like, yo, I don't know, like, like, and, and, and if they're still working and still like they're working for you, that's the blessing that we have that like our parents are like work this hard to give us a better life. So you need to be like, this is the better life. This privilege, like the privilege that I have and that, that I enjoy is that like I got to pursue something that I wouldn't have been able to do back home. Definitely not in Saudi, maybe in Pakistan, like, but like over here, like without doubt, like I just, I just said I'd do it. And then I did it. The audacity. I, yeah, exactly. You know, I just had to be, I just had, you know, and like, and like my siblings were like, yo, like, why are you like yo, you're still taking money from mom and dad, like in like the first couple of years of me like struggling and stuff like that. And I was just like, yo, like the amount of money I've taken from mom and dad isn't even like one year of tuition. Like it's not, you know what I mean? Like every couple of months I'd be like, yo, like I need like just to like finish rent or just because I wanted to like eat sushi or whatever it is, like just I'm trying to live my best life. You know what I mean? So like I did that. I recommend everybody else to do that because like if there's money for your post-education, there's money for your real life as well for your post-secondary, for your wedding or anything like that. Our parents work hard to provide for us and it's up to us to convince them what, what they see worthy of investing in. It's not an, it's not the ideal thing, but if you really want your parents support, if you can do it without them, great. Then they don't have to stress out about it. But if you're, if you're going to come with the excuse that like, yo, my parents won't support me, ask why, you know, ask why and work around that. And some people might still might not get, you know, get a, get a positive reaction and that's okay too. And, um, and, and, um, you know, there's people like, there's people like, you know, Tassin and Mana and myself who have had these, you know, like similar experience. And uh, if you're listening to this podcast, I hope you can relate and, and you take something out of that. But, um, yeah, like I think to have, to have respect for your own culture, respect for the culture, the culture that's given you the opportunities, um, you know, but to carve your own identity through that, it's a, it's a difficult task, and, but it's, it's one absolutely worthy of it. And, and the worst thing that you can do is to, is to deny yourself either one, you know, to, to reject either culture. When I really like what you said, that it doesn't involve tearing up everything that your parent. It, it doesn't involve tearing up everything that's already established. Mm-hmm. We're obsessed with new things, right? It's like how we're obsessed with like big picture ideas, new things, fresh mm-hmm. concepts. Shiny, so yeah. Shiny, yeah. We want to create mm-hmm. our own identity where you're a new kid, you're an immigrant, you're trying to assert yourself in your family, assert yourself in terms of your own body, who you are, your own values, where you stand. And then sometimes that involves, let me just start all over. Because you always think starting over and starting fresh in itself going to bring you so much but then it's scary and it's lonely and at times it leads to this complete black hole where nothing is resolved you've done all mm-hmm. the things you did all the experiences you cultivated all the memories that you've been seeking for so long and then you're like wait it this doesn't make anything any clearer yeah so i love that i love the idea that you know look at what's there 
critically look at it don't be scared of it don't be scared to see what it reveals in you and know that there's sometimes comfort in just latching on to what already exists and then rebranding it in a way that's just you rather yeah. than having to tear it down to build it up again yeah when i say be good to yourself it's just like don't st- you know veer too much into one direction you know like you, you know like even zane couldn't go too far into one direction you know what i mean wow <laughs> You know, like if you veer too much into like any one particular thing, we're blessed that we like we get to be these like multi we're, we're we are multicultural. Uh, you know, often the buzz thing is the, like we got to be one of a thing that like was mm-hmm. multicultural, but we are we are the multicultural. Mm-hmm. So like we, we, we get to we get to bring a little bit of everything. And that's that's hype. Like a lot of restaurants and do fusions do really well, you know, that do it well. You know what I mean? So whatever the specificity of your schism is, whatever the specificity of your Venn diagram is, just like that's the middle path. The middle path is not the is not the safe way or it's not the popular opinion. The middle path is where all of your cultures meet. And whatever challenges that that takes you through, that's the one that you should go for, you know, and, and try to do it in the most respectful, hardworking and honest way possible. And that's something I that's something I'm still learning. And that's something I, I think I could have been working on a long uh, a long time ago that would have uh, where i would have been able to avoid certain mistakes but um but we're here now and uh and we're moving forward